0: with John Wall and CJ Toledano on the iHeartRadio app, the DraftKings YouTube channel, or wherever you
1: listen to your podcasts. compatibility. The Volume.
0: All right, welcome to Hoops Tonight here at The Volume. Happy Thursday, everybody. Coverage of the NBA Finals here at Hoops Tonight is brought to you by Chase Freedom Unlimited. How do you cash back? All right, so the Denver Nuggets go up 2-1 on the Miami Heat. We broke it down on a more like instant reaction type of format with Colin Cowherd last night. In case you guys missed it, you can find that a little bit further back on the YouTube feed. Today, we're diving into the film. Watched it all this morning, dug into the numbers, have a bunch of stuff to go over with you guys. You guys know the drill before we get started. Subscribe to the Volumes YouTube channel so you don't miss any more of our videos. Follow me on Twitter at underscore JasonLT so you guys don't miss any show announcements. And if for whatever reason you guys miss one of these videos and you can't get back over to YouTube to finish, don't forget you can find them wherever you get your podcasts. Under hoops tonight. And last but not least, you guys have heard me talk about GameTime, the fastest growing ticketing app in the United States. If you're looking to get out to an NBA game, an NHL game, a baseball game, a concert, or a comedy show, GameTime has amazing last-minute deals on tickets to all of these. So if you're looking to get out to Game 4 of the NBA Finals, GameTime has a deal for you. If you're looking to get out to see the Stanley Cup Finals, Game Time has a deal for you. Um, I'm going to see the final show ever for Dead & Company in San Francisco, in the middle of July. Uh, that tour has been super interesting. I've been following along. I went to a show earlier in Phoenix. I highly recommend that you go see those guys. John Mayer, when he's playing blues guitar, I think he's the best ever to do it. So I highly recommend you check it out. Game Time is going to have a deal for you there as well. No matter where you live, <clears throat> get out and have some fun this week. Download the Game Time app, enter email and redeem code HOOPS for $20 off your first purchase. Terms apply. Again, enter your email and code HOOPS. That's H-O-O-P-S for $20 off. Download game time today. Last-minute tickets, lowest price, guaranteed. All right, let's talk some basketball. So, a bunch of stuff that I want to hit from last night's game. You know, it's funny. We talked about how um, the two things that uh, Miami had done to kind of disrupt uh, uh, Denver's offense was Jimmy Butler on Jamal Murray and Bam on Nikol Jokic kind of credibly guarding the Jokic-Murray two-man game two-on-two which was allowing them to stay home off the ball, and then some of the success that their zone defense had. And one of the many counters that I had put out there was like, hey, try to run more dribble handoffs and in action with maybe some off-ball action, like wide pin downs for KCP and Michael Porter Jr. to try to get them into a rhythm more in Game 3 so that they're more available to you to make big shots when it matters. And that was the exact opposite of what Denver did. They leaned entirely into... The Murray-Jokic two-man game, which ended up being a smart decision. You saw it like KCP and Michael Porter Jr. both played way better than they did in game two, particularly on the defensive end of the floor. I thought Michael Porter Jr. actually had a really good game. I was talking with Liv. Uh, Liv Mood's our resident Nuggets fan here at the volume in, in a show two days ago. And she was like, over under MPJ game three, uh, 14 points. And I said, under? but I expected him to play way better. And I said, it's because I don't really expect as part of the scheme for him to get a ton of points, but he is a 6'10 athlete and he's got to make plays on the defensive end of the floor. And those guys were much better, But it was the two-man game for Denver that they just leaned 100% into on the offensive end of the floor, and it was working in large part because Jimmy Butler in particular wasn't as good as he was in Game 2. In Game 2, Jimmy Butler's back pressure was hellacious. He was right on Jamal's backside the entire game. It's a couple of different things, like Jokic not doing quite as good of a job screening as he did in Game 3, Jimmy just being more locked in defensively. He was clearly a step slow last night, and Jamal just made him pay for it. To give you an idea, there were only five possessions in game two where Jamal Murray was able to either get a shot off in pick and roll or make a pass to a guy who was able to get a shot off. Only five in the entire game. He had six in just the first quarter of game three, 14 total in the game. So he was able to shake free of Jimmy Butler far more frequently in this particular game than he was in game two. And again, this is like where that unguardability concept comes in. Jamal kind of provides that unique combination of pull-up jump shooting that forces you to stay attached chasing over the top. And he's kind of an underrated rim attacker. He's got a good amount of size and athleticism. He's got a great floater. He can finish around the rim with either hand. He just flat out, for the record, has played at a superstar level in this entire postseason. Through the playoffs so far to this point, 27, 6, and 27-6-7. On 60% true shooting in the finals, 26, 7, and 10 on 61% true shooting. That's 10 assists per game, that's 30 assists. He's leading the series for both teams, including Jokic in assists. He's having an amazing playmaking postseason, seven assists per game in an entire postseason, 10 assists per game in a finals. That's really impressive playmaking from Jamal Murray. That in combination with everything we said last night about Nikola Jokic being the master of size, leverage, shot making, and playmaking together makes that action extremely difficult to guard. And if you guard that two on two, you have to be nearly perfect in your defensive execution. And Miami just wasn't as sharp as they were. And and, and like, it's hard. I get it. They're, they're an extremely difficult team to guard. I mean, they, you can, they can even go to a pick-and-pop type of thing with Nikola Jokic, and he's shooting damn near 50% from three in this playoff run. So it, I'm not sitting here acting like it's just like, hey, go do your job and it'll work. But we've seen in game two that Miami has been better I, uh, at guarding this action than they were in game three. A couple things I'd like to see again, Jimmy just has to do a better job chasing, but I'd like to see them mix in some switching, particularly in late clock situations. So if you run a switch and there's 14 seconds on the shot clock, they have plenty of time to target you in a post up. But if they run a two-man game because you dissuade the first one and they turn around and run it again and there's only seven seconds on the shot clock, you can get away with a switch there because it's just going to be really hard if they come off the action seven, six, five. Okay, you identify it's a switch. You dribble back out four. Now he's posting up. You throw it to him. He has to turn and shoot right away to get a decent look, which allows your defender to not have to worry about pivots and fakes and things along those lines from Nikola Jokic. So I'd like to see them mix in some switching in late clock situations. Um, I liked how they brought out the blitz a little bit too. I'd like to see them use that... um, Uh, specifically just not like repping at every single possession, but just randomly because there were possessions where Jamal was caught off guard by it and he just started retreating out to half court because he didn't know what to do. And then there were possessions where Jamal made the read quickly and got that drop-off pass and started that four on three and Denver got good looks. So the timing of the blitz, I think, um, has to be very careful, if that makes sense. But I do think Miami's capable of doing a much better job in that two-man game than they did in game one um denver's defense like i said at the beginning of the show last night with colin they cut it off in the youtube one but we talked about it on amp for those of you guys who listen to it there but i thought denver's defense was by far the biggest element to their win last night and on tape just everything was better just the execution was better their over the top pursuit on guards was better their rotations were better especially on pick and roll situations with bam at a bio to give you an idea look at these numbers In pick and roll, Miami scored 1.47 points per possession in game two, down to 0.81 points per possession in game three. That's almost half. So, 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 so much better. Roll man possessions, 2.13 points per possession in game two, one point per per possession in game three. That's less than half. Spot up situations, Miami, 1.67 points per possession in game two. Way too many comfortable in rhythm catch and shoot shots for good shooters in game two. They limited those a little bit in game three. They were down to 1.08 points per possession. I talked about this a lot with Liv, um, in the show that we did two days ago, but like, again, to me, there is luck in any one shot, right? Like if I have a catch and shoot jumper on the move, um, I might, you know, a good NBA shooter in a game. If it's a good look from three, he's going to make 50% of them, right? Like a good look, right? So there's luck, right? Half of them, he's making half of them. He's missing. They're pretty good looks. But the thing is, is that over the course of a game, your team might take 40 or 50 jump shots. So the luck kind of evens out. It's kind of like I was talking about with the voting pool for MVP and the eye test. Um, I think I was having this conversation with, uh, I'm trying to remember who it was I was talking with. I think it was with Mark Titus from Barstool. But I was talking about how like the voter pool compensates for the mistakes in the eye test. Like the eye test is imperfect, but get 100 guys together? or 100 men and women together, they're probably going to center around what the reality is, right? That's kind of the way I feel about shot variance. If you're taking 40 to 50 jump shots in a game, while there is luck or variance in any one shot, over the course of 40 or 50 jump shots, it's probably going to result in something based on what the defense is allowing, right? If you're getting good in rhythm looks, the vast majority of those luck situations are going to be favorable for you. And over 40 or 50 jump shots, you're going to get 1.67 points per possession. But when you defend better and the easy in rhythm catch and shoot jumpers are few and far between, and as a result, all the shooters are in less rhythm, all of a sudden it is more likely that over 40 or 50 shots, you're going to hold them to 1.08 points per possession in spot-up situations. Generally speaking, I think it's a loser mentality, and uh, I think it's a loser mentality to focus on luck as it pertains to shooting, and as a team, if that was the case, then what's the point of doing anything if it's literally just a slot machine? That's not the case. Your defense controls the shooting outcome. Denver had, I thought, their worst defensive performance of the postseason in Game 2. They gave up a million good looks. Miami made them pay. In game three, they were much better. Miami came back down to earth. That's the reason why. It wasn't just because they hit the slot machine again. Um, in the zone, I talked a lot about – and again, we're still staying on Denver's defense – But for their zone offense, if you guys remember, I listed a bunch of potential uh, counters. I mentioned like uh, bringing the guy out of the corner to screen away, which we did not see any of. I mentioned driving the zone, which we saw a lot of, which we'll talk about later. And if you remember, I said defense, defense, defense. I said by far the best way for them to, to get away from attacking Miami's zone is just get stops. Because Miami will not run their zone unless it's a made basket or a dead ball situation. So, by getting stops, you avoid having to attack Miami's zone. Well, I tweeted at the end of the third quarter, I was like, Denver's in great shape, but the zone is coming in the fourth quarter. They've got one last test they need to pass to get out of here. Well, Denver got stops on 10 of their first 13 possessions in the fourth quarter, 10 of their first 13. As a result, By the time that 13th possession had happened, they were already up 18. The game was over. And so Spolstra barely used the zone. He only used it four possessions in the fourth quarter. So Denver's defense literally kept them from having to attack Miami's zone and put them on this massive run, and the game was over. And I thought Spolstra kind of smartly pulled back from the zone the rest of the fourth quarter, essentially saying, we're not getting this one. Let's save it because maybe we can disrupt their rhythm a little bit in a later game in this series. So let's now dive into Denver's offense against the zone because in the four possessions they ran it in the fourth quarter, Jokic had a miss and an offensive rebound. They immediately scored, and then they scored on the last two. So it was four possessions, but technically three total defensive stops that flew in, uh, that flowed into Denver possessions, and Denver scored on all three of them. So I want to talk a little bit about what they did. from his time in the NBA. CJ will bring his A-list comedian buddies to keep it light and fire off some hoops takes. Plus, John will be inviting current and former NBA players, friends, and teammates to join the show as well to give their unfiltered accounts of what really goes on in the league from a player's perspective. So check out Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano on the iHeartRadio app, the DraftKings YouTube channel, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Ever needed something for your home but don't have the cash or credit to pay for it? Let's chat about how to get what you need when you need it. You can do that at Aaron's. Yep, you can rent to own appliances like washers, dryers, or refrigerators, furniture for your living room or bedroom, even tech like computers and gaming systems. Plus, Aaron's has great brands like HP, Samsung, and Ashley, and you can pay a little at a time until it's yours forever. But here's the cool part. Say you're renting a 65-inch smart TV and decide you don't want it anymore. At Aarons, you can return it at any time. Or maybe you want to downsize to a 55-inch or upgrade to an 86-inch. You can do that too. Return it, then take home something new. Life's always changing. With Aarons, your stuff can change right along with it. Keep it, return it, upgrade it. Aarons fits your life instead of the other way around. So check out your nearest Aarons store or visit Aarons.com for more details. Approval isn't guaranteed and some restrictions apply. See your local store for details.
1: 2025 QX80 coming this summer.
0: Angie's list is now Angie, your home for everything home. Angie doesn't just get your home projects done. Angie gets them done well. With 20 plus years of experience combined with new tools to simplify the process, Angie makes completing home projects easy. With over 220,000 pros in their network, Angie makes it easy to research, compare, and hire pros to get the job done well. The pros in the network are locally based and they've been rated and reviewed by others in your area who have actually used their services. Y'all know what it's like to own a home. You walk around, like I walk into the kitchen the other day and my refrigerator is just making this horrible grinding noise. Or on Saturday, we were having a pool party. I had to use a couple outlets that I hadn't used in a while and I found three or four outlets around the house that just didn't work. And that's super annoying. But the best part about Angie is it's a great tool to help you find the best available deal to get that work done and to get it done right. In just a few taps in the Angie app or clicks on the site, you can have Angie tackle your home service project from start to finish. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I.com. First of all, the defense, like we talked about, by defending, you keep them out of their zone. But they did a, a, one of the interesting counters that Mike Malone had was, if you remember, Miami's zone was taking a top guy and fronting Jokic at the high post to prevent the high post entry, which is the best place to enter a zone. Why is that the best place to enter the zone? It's the one place where it kind of overlaps a bunch of responsibilities, right? If I've got two guys at the top, a guy under the basket and two guys on the wing, the guy in the high post is right in the middle. And so it's very easy to get the defense to collapse as multiple guys kind of converge on that spot. Well, the other best place to enter is the short corner. Same concept. On the wings, the zone is lined up for you. They're ready for you. If you're in the corner on the wings, they're ready for you. But that short corner in between where Bam is and a guy on the wing is another soft spot where if you catch there, you can attract multiple bodies. They ended up getting two buckets out of Jokic operating out of the short corner. In this game, one at the late third quarter, actually. Zone, Spolcher actually brought out the zone a little bit earlier. But they dumped it to Jokic on the short corner. Multiple bodies came in. Christian Brown attacked a uh, cut out of the top of the key. Jokic hit him for a layup. Um, in the fourth quarter... The miss that they had was another action where they started Jokic in the short corner on the left side, and what they did is they waited, and they had Jamal Murray down screen on Bam, and Jokic flashed high post. They hit him on the move before the front could come, and he actually ended up getting a nice little floater, one that Jokic normally makes. He just missed it off the right side of the rim, but he saw it coming, and chased it down, got the offensive rebound, and they got back into their zone attack. So I thought that was a really interesting wrinkle, either catching Jokic in the short corner or starting out of the short corner and quick flashing so that the guard doesn't have an opportunity to front the post because he's catching before he even gets there even. So smart adjustments from uh, Mike Malone. And then the other one, like I said, if you guys remember, driving the zone. I broke this down after game two. I said, in a zone defense, they're not double teaming you. Like if I'm dribbling the ball on the left wing and Jokic is at the high post and he's getting fronted, Kyle Lowry's coming out of the top to deny that swing pass and Duncan Robinson's over here and he's denying that swing pass and Bam is waiting under the basket. Yeah, they're taking away the post entry, but the fundamental beginning of the defense is still Jamal Murray dribbling the basketball with one defender in front of him. And so if he can beat that one defender, he will engage another defender, which will start to create openings. That's like, that driving the zone, you don't see it a ton at the lower levels because ball handling is not good enough in high school and in college for guys to penetrate the zone off the dribble. But in the NBA, it's one of the best ways to attack. That's why a lot of times in the NBA, teams will run their man-to-man offense against zone defenses because if you can get dribble penetration, it accomplishes the same thing as the pass. Well, those three buckets that they scored, three for three, in the fourth quarter, all three of them were on dribble penetration. First one, Jamal Murray dribbling at the top. He's got Caleb Martin on him, beats him to the right. Caleb Martin takes a couple hard recovery steps, but Jamal like, does a little bump-off dribble. Caleb's gone, and he's shooting a wide-open like 10-foot jump shot at the lane line that he, of course, makes because he's in good rhythm. And then back-to-back possessions were Christian Brown, who was phenomenal last night. I'm not going to go too much further into it because I talked about it a lot with Colin Coward last night. But he just beat Caleb Martin off the dribble. Drew uh, that second defender, dropped it off to Nikola Jokic, who made a little short jump shot. And then there was another possession where Christian Brown caught it in the corner on the left side and did a rip-through move over the top on Jimmy Butler, beat Jimmy Butler to the middle, brought Bam up, Occupied Bam dropped it to Jokic. Bam was out of position, so he closed out too hard on Jokic, ended up fouling Jokic, and he made both free throws. So all three of their buckets against the zone in the fourth quarter were from just driving the zone. So a very good adjustment there from um, Mike Malone, and it was kind of the obvious adjustment when they're denying the easy entry passes. If they're going to do that, that's the only counter you have really. Is I, I, I mentioned a couple others, some complicated screening things, but it's a lot easier to just be like, hey, I'm faster than you and I'm a better ball handler. Let me beat you to the basket and we can go from there. But big time game from Christian Brown. Excellent defensively, excellent in transition. Um, he's just so athletic. is so difficult to guard. I tweeted this out last night, but he's the latest in a long line of kind of like smaller guards that are succeeding at this level. I, I should say smaller wings that are succeeding in the late rounds of the playoffs. These guys that are between like 6'3 and 6'6, but are built like trucks freaky athletic, low centers of gravity that can that are difficult to screen, that run in transition well, that can beat guys off the dribble. All that stuff is super valuable. You saw that this year with Christian Brown. You saw it this year again with Bruce Brown, who has been a very similar type of player for Denver. Last year, a guy like uh, uh, Gary Payton II, impossible to screen, brings a bunch of stuff to the table there uh, as an athlete. Alex Caruso on the 2020 Lakers. Pat Connaughton was a little bit like this in the 2021 Bucks. We talk so much about these 6'8 wings that are super long-armed and can do all these things defensively. The problem with most wings is most of them are very upright, have high centers of gravity, and aren't as strong. And so they're easier to screen, and so they can struggle sometimes in these situations. They're the guys that you can bump off their spots. So sometimes those lower center of gravity wings have more success. I think that's an interesting trend in the NBA. So shout out to uh, Christian Brown. But I, I thought, even t- in spite of all that stuff that I said, I still think zone is the best option for Miami to get stops. So Denver had some nice counters. They got three buckets against the zone in the fourth quarter, two buckets and a foul for two free throws in the fourth quarter, but they ran eight zone possessions in the second and third quarters and got stops on six of those seven, six of those eight possessions, including three stops in five possessions with Nikola Jokic on the floor. They were uh, right over just over eight tenths of a possession overall, eight, eight tenths of a point per possession overall, in last night's game against the zone, which is not very good, right? So Miami's defense has consistently been better in this series when they run zone versus man-to-man. It takes Denver out of their two-man game. It disrupts their rhythm. That's been clearly one of their best options. So for Miami, they might have to consider running their zone after misses. They might have to consider like at least giving Bam the authority to call out zone in transition situations when he's back. And he could just be like, zone, 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 and everybody kind of gets into it. And then when Denver's really pushing the pace and attacking in transition, maybe they stay with man-to-man, but they might have to try to at least experiment with running zone in live ball situations instead of made baskets and dead ball situations, because I think they need to try to find a way to get more than 12 possessions a game in of zone. Miami's offense. Um, I thought their process was fine when I went back and looked at the film. They had 25 spot-up possessions for 1.08 points per possession, which is uh, better than Denver did. So, like, Denver didn't shoot well. Miami actually shot better again. Um, But I thought the difference of the game was they just missed way too many shots in the paint. They were 17 for 46 in the paint. Jimmy and Bam missed a ton of bunnies. That's just 37%, by the way. Um, I do want to give Denver's defense some credit. They were much better in rotation. Nikola Jokic was much more active with his hands around the basket, dissuading guys. But Bam and Jimmy both missed a lot of bunnies, and so that's something they're going to have to clean up. And that's that causes a chain reaction. Like, if you have rim misses against Denver, that equals death, especially when Jimmy and Bam are your two best athletes and they're under the basket. They're under the opposing basket. Denver's looking to push in transition. A a, a miss at the rim often leads to transition opportunities unless you can get an offensive rebound. And look, Denver missed. uh, Here's the thing. Miami had 10 offensive rebounds last night, but that's just because they missed so many damn shots. Denver usually is going to control the defensive glass and get out in transition. I, I, that those paint misses are the beginning of an ugly chain reaction. Not only those transition situations, but every time you make one of those bunnies, that's an opportunity for you to set your defense or to set your zone, like we talked about. More paint makes equals more reactive help from Denver's wings. If, if Jimmy and Bam go... 27 for 46 instead of 17 for 46 when they get into the paint it's human nature that those wings will just coalesce more around them while they're trying to shoot as part of uh denver's help defense which generates the higher quality three-point shots that they got in game two so that that is the chain reaction they need to reverse instead they got the opposite of that so better focus and and lift in particular around the rim from jimmy and bam will go a long way to reversing that trend for the Heat. Um, so, kind of in summation, Miami's adjustments. Jimmy has to do a much better job of chasing Murray over screens, and we know he's capable of it because he did it in Game 2. They need to switch any Murray-Jokic action that happens with less than 10 seconds on the shot clock. It'll make it much more difficult for Denver to post up mismatches where in the post they continue to dominate. They need to mix in the occasional blitz to throw off Jamal Murray's rhythm and just the overall rhythm of the action. They need to run more zone. It's been by far their most effective defense in the series, and they need to consider running it on misses when Denver is not on the attack. Give Bam that leeway to kind of call it out. Last but not least, Jimmy and Bam have to make their short shots in the lane to start the chain reaction of drawing more help, getting more high-quality three-point shots, and allowing them to set their defense. So after Game 2, I did say with Liv, I predicted Denver would win comfortably in Game 3, and that Game 4 would be the most competitive game of the series. I do believe that's what's going to happen. I think Jimmy Butler will have his best defensive game of the series. I think the Heat will finish in the paint better and make more threes. I also think Denver will shoot better. They really haven't shot well in the last couple of games. So I I think this is going to be a really close game with a crunch time situation that's going to come down to the final few possessions. I really don't have any idea... And I hate making predictions. If I have to, I'll pick Miami to win closely and tie the series at two. But I wouldn't be the least bit surprised if Denver came out on top in that situation. I think game four is going to be the most entertaining game of the series. And I am very, very excited to see it. We will be going live with Colin Coward again after the final buzzer of game four. Before we break down the film on Saturday morning. As always, I sincerely appreciate you guys. And I will see you tomorrow night. instead of the other way around. Approval isn't guaranteed, and some restrictions apply. See your local store for details.
1: Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80, live March 20th from The Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City.